Welcome, people. Welcome back to the machine is the message. This time we've got Pulat Unisov here of the Unisov question. Um, practicing lawyer. Practicing, is that correct? Correct. Tech uh, enthusiast and you know connected uh, from that world. And uh, we're here to talk about what's going on in tech and AI today um, with a unique perspective of someone from, you know, Pat, you were just saying, I kind of did the intro. I don't know why I just jumped That's in and right. did that. That's right. It's because he, he said great. you were sick, he man. Yeah. He said you were sick. And I'm like, I got to lift the load for Pat. Here. I am so sick. I'm going to go to sleep immediately after this. But um, maybe yeah. during. Yeah, maybe during. <laughs> Watch out for me. Uh, so uh, I met Pulat through um, his wife, Elena. And um, we, uh, we have had many a conversation about technology, society, uh, how these things come together. Um, uh, and he has just like a really great perspective from sort of how, from a legal perspective, these things operate, but also a technical background and understanding of like how these new technologies want to um, want to manifest. And so like that goes from crypto to AI to the internet to, you know, what, what have you. So we're really excited to have you on. Uh, Pulat, maybe you can uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, thank you, Patrick. Thank you, Alan. It's really great to be here. I listened to your podcast and I secretly wanted to be on, on your podcast. <laughs> it's happening. You've manifested it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I am a lawyer. When you say you're a lawyer to a lawyer, it doesn't really mean much. I guess it means something to a non-lawyer, but to a lawyer, it doesn't mean much when I say I'm a lawyer because lawyers do such different things that are probably more different than uh, things that, for example, computer programmers and product managers do. So imagine a product manager and a computer programmer, they do pretty different things, but uh, the the distance between what some really different lawyers do is even further. So lawyers can be really different, can do really different things, diametrically different. And uh, I, uh, I do, so what I do is uh, I, I threaten people with, uh, with, with going to court to get, th to get them to do things. And then when they don't do those things, I go to court. So this is what I do, uh, and uh, it sounds like uh, I don't know, like The Sopranos or something, but uh, <laughs> uh, but it's not. It's actually uh, so there are there are nerds in law, right? And uh, nerds in law are mostly in litigation, so they're mostly in this. Uh, uh, metaphorical breaking legs uh, part of the law. Uh, so litigation or going to court or preparing arguments in court attracts nerds. The other side of the law is uh, helping people comply or helping people build their affairs or, or do deals in a compliant way or in a way that is predictable. That's not litigation. And that attracts more of a, of a business type, or that attracts more of a, I guess, um, extrovert type. And uh, 
litigation is more for nerds because it's it's really it requires a lot of hard work with your brain and uh, preparing new and novel and creative arguments so you will find nerds in law in litigation so i guess this is my claim to the nerd status is because i'm a litigation i also was in computer <laughs> programming before law and i'm i still am because this is my hobby i i like opening my laptop and uh, coding on my laptop just calms my nerves a lot. Well, hey, if being a litigator wasn't enough of a claim to being a nerd, being a litigator whose hobby is computer programming, I think gets you there. Like that's your nerd credit right there. You get the badge. Thank you. <clears throat> so this week in, in tech and AI, um, let's just let's talk about some of the stuff that's going on um, this week. There was some huge drops. Uh, a lot happened. I feel like you guys remember, maybe it was like a month ago, two months ago, for the first time, ChatGPT's users, monthly users went down and everyone was like, the hype wave is over and AI stocks were you know, starting to crash and everything. I feel like the hype is back. I feel like we're there now. It was like all of a sudden, everyone's like losing their mind. Uh, there's people who, even more people who weren't talking about this stuff are talking about it more mainstream companies are coming forward with big stuff and i think we should talk about some of the stuff from meta um, because it is it's i think it's pretty powerful and this is going to be a lot of people's first introduction to this um because they're not first to the race but they're yeah you guys know what i mean right like this is should this i is just big. search for meta ai like yeah let's just like there's got to be some news roundups of all the stuff that they dropped but there was a lot um Okay, so I think the, the biggest, most broadest one is their, the general meta AI, right? Which is the one that you can just chat to. Um, so it's kind of like their chat GPT, but more in a you know mobile uh, setting. Mm -hmm. um, just being able to ask questions. There it is, meta AI, right? Make me a picture of this. So what's weird about this one is, and what's kind of cool about it, they've got the general personality and they've got explicit personalities so here's what they say um chat with 28 different ais to get unique perspectives on topics like travel games and food these experiences will help you have fun connect etc and what they are is right. celebrities so you talk to like israel adesanya about fighting and you know mma i don't know how often you need to do that or if it's about like the, the you know more like the art of war um, you could talk to Mr. Beast about entertainment. Uh, you talk to people about fashion, right? So it's kind of like when you use ChatGPT, you say, hey, pretend you are this person. They just built that in from the get-go in terms of saying, okay, talk to this person, this person, this person. And they did all these um, kind of like celebrity collaborations using their image, but they don't actually use their name. So you know it's them, it's their face, but they, look, they've got these names like, See familiar faces, Brew. That's Tom Brady, right? Mm -hmm. Dungeon Master. That's Snoop Dogg. Like, <laughs> yeah. So I think the interesting take here is that um, AI isn't one agent. Um, that you're going to interact with multiple agents. Um, you're going to chat with them. You're going to have a history with them. Uh, can then you know use that history to be more relevant in the future. Uh, but also, I think what this is, is it's like an area where these agents can play that's like non-critical. So it's like not 
you know, if they get the sports fact wrong, it's not the biggest thing, or like they just kind of hallucinate about dungeons, it's like that's the point of it. So it's kind of a safer place to introduce this stuff. You can imagine introducing, you know, um, uh, agent that's like actually <clears throat> uh, the king. I don't know, <laughs> the prime minister, and then like people get that person to say like really offensive things. I imagine that that's what this is trying to like uh, uh, guard against is like a playground where the stakes are much lower, but there's still like a social aspect to to the conversation. Flick that little switch that says more AIs to explore at the top of this. And then Pulad, give me your take on uh, this concept that Meta's rolling out here. When I'm uh, looking at this website, Meta AI, and I see Snoop Dogg, so they all look like celebrities, or at least some of them. So my question right away is if they licensed the likeness of, of these people to power uh, this new AI product, and if this is going to be a new source of revenue for celebrities to license their likeness and uh, celebrities can then certainly license different aspects of their personality or appearance. They can license their voice, they can license their face, they can license their smell, they can license their uh, way of speaking and uh, AI will uh, simulate or emulate different aspects of celebrities because we're of course a celebrity obsessed society and uh, one of the biggest breakthroughs in technology today uh, large language models uh, uh, that generates uh, and predicts text is again turning into a toy for people right so we we turn every technology into a toy that we can package and sell and that uh, is that licenses some aspect of the celebrity culture to make that toy um, marketable. I, I love the idea of it fun being one of the initial use cases, right? Of, you know, this is just kind of interesting or entertainment of, you know, this is low stakes, like you were saying, Pat. And it's like when, you know, Siri first came out and voice uh, came out, you would use it for setting timers because it was low stakes. If it gets it wrong, it doesn't matter, right? Like, okay, it, it didn't understand I want to set a timer for 10 minutes or it didn't understand play my classical music playlist. Those are the two things that were the highest use case for a long time for voice. Um, and so it, it's interesting to think what are the low case, uh, use low stakes use cases for AI? And how does this help people with those? It's also interesting, like the how do we push the frontier? So, um, so like, if you think about AI, like where does where does the ability for AI come from? Well, it comes definitely from like the uh, the notion of neural nets and kind of recursive learning, um, but it also comes from the ability of the GPU to do a bunch of parallel calculations. Which, why do we have that? Well, we have that because of graphics for video games, which then introduced the need for like really high-end like uh, graphical computation on a chip. And then we get this, which is like uh, AI is an application. It's like interesting, has business ramifications, but then it becomes a toy again. And so it, there is something to be said about like games or toys pushing the frontier of what's possible um, to like, because in play we like, your 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 expectations of what's going to happen are lowered, and you're more willing to deal with like weird things happening. 
In fact, that's like the whole part is the surprise. And so it's interesting to think about toys or games as like pushing the frontier of technology of what's possible because it puts us in a state where we're ready to to receive something different. Like if I just want to set the timer, I don't want it to be like, hey, well, what is a timer actually? Or like say some funny <laughs> pun about timers. But if I'm in the state of like receiving a game or fun, um, it, I'm just in a different mode and I'm like willing to be like, oh yeah, I'll go with this. I'll go with like the Dungeon Master Snoop Dogg. Why not? Um, there's there's something interesting in there. And, and then let's look at some of the other stuff from Meta. But what you're saying about the, the GPUs and like this, Originally, this was from graphics, right? In the human brain, one of the biggest parts of our brain is the visual processing unit. And it takes up some of the most space and has the most bandwidth um, as well. And to think that that ended up being the thing that started to power you know, AI, the essentially like graphics processing units, uh, has been the thing that's unlocked you know, this whole, whole branch of technology uh, is like, an interesting coincidence yeah or not yeah yeah i think that graphics and space have more uh significance than we give them and i i'm, I'm not going to go into this but i don't know if you guys know place cells uh, no cells, space cells basically in our brain um there is uh cells dedicated to like where you are and then physically like the layout of the places so you have this notion i'm in my room and then i have a desk and there's a two-dimensional representation of what's on my desk. And then I have like a ginger ale can. And then there's a 2D representation of this logo. And so the whole way down, our cognitive processing from things as specific to like a cup to as abstract as the concept of the monarchy are all based in our understanding of spaces, which is our understanding of two dimensions. Like it's not 3D. Like the way we understand the world may look 3D to us because of perspectives, but cognitively what's going on is this kind of 2D mapping process. Mm. So this is all just to say totally, like perhaps intelligence isn't like kind of like this thing that we've been doing for a long time, which is like semantic AI, like understanding the meaning of words, perhaps AI is indicating that intelligence is actually more about navigating spatially, which is what AI is. It's like a bunch of dimensions that has like different weights. Anyway, Hula, what do you think? We're not computer scientists. What do we know? <laughs> yes, but uh, we do know a little bit about uh, marketing and uh, why people buy things. And uh, we also know that companies make things only if people buy them. This is the basic nature of our system, of our economic system. So uh, when you mentioned GPUs and graphics boards, I thought that one of the reasons they uh, came uh, about was because people wanted to play video games, like first-person shooters. So my favorite video game is Doom. Um, I don't think there is any other video game that I like as much. And I remember back in the day um, when uh, we, we played Doom, uh, you had to, you, there was an option to uh, make your screen smaller, the uh, video space on the screen smaller, the game space on the screen smaller, it's because it was easier for the processor to render the, um, uh, the textures and the game uh, play on a smaller screen. And then uh, I remember some guy, and it was literally 1990, 
seven or something like that. He was playing on one of those big um, uh, computer monitors, uh, and uh, his video game space was tiny. He just shrunk it to the smallest possible size because the processor couldn't handle anything bigger. And then that problem went away completely because uh, 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 the video boards caught up and CPUs caught up. And they caught up because there was a demand for uh, highly complex video gameplay. But then uh, cryptocurrency mining came around. Right. And they, and they used the same boards for that because those boards were already the most advanced computing uh, platforms because of the graphics applications uh, of the previous day. And then uh, cryptocurrency mining was even more demanding uh, in computing power. So now we have large, large language models and machine learning, and uh, those boards came in handy. So it was all driven by entertainment. And of course, there, are, there is another application that we don't know much about. It's, it's the military applications. They also drive technology, but we don't hear about it. So we can safely assume that military versions of what we have are probably uh, several years ahead of what, of what we know. Uh, really, there are only two motivations that matter. It's entertainment in the modern society. It's entertainment and war. If it's good for war, if it helps uh, conduct war, then uh, corporations will come up with those innovations. It helps uh, entertain people. If people will uh, pay for, for, for this version of fun, corporations will uh, uh, come up with some innovation again. So. Yeah, the, I think this this graphics board uh, boards are really good illustration of this idea. So I'm gonna throw out because I think that that's a good insight, which is like um, people are willing to pay for it. We get more of it. We get more of it. We can do new things. And so there is two sides to this. So there is demand-driven um, businesses, but there are also supply-driven markets, <clears throat> and that's what. Uh, that's what GPUs are. Basically, we had a bunch of GPUs, which allowed things like crypto or things like large language models to happen. But those things were only built for video games. So the notion is that actually people don't know what they want to buy until you make it. And that's supply driven. That's like the iPhone. Like nobody knew they needed an iPhone, but they released the iPhone and now everybody needs an iPhone or a touchscreen phone. So yeah, I agree with you with the caveat that like sometimes you need to build it before people know that they want it. And then the other thing that I throw in there is path dependency. Like why do we use a QWERTY keyboard? Because everybody's used to a QWERTY keyboard. So there's some level of like, you know, well, we've been doing the GPU thing. We've been doing the CPU thing. So we're just gonna keep doing the CPU thing until there's a paradigm shift and that, how does that paradigm shift happen? Well, it has to happen, it has to be supply driven. It has to happen in a way that people didn't specifically ask for a new keyboard, right? They, maybe the swipe keyboard is a good example. I don't know, it's still QWERTY, but anyway, <laughs> thoughts? Yes, for example, they, they invented the mouse, the computer mouse in, in the eighties, I think, and nobody wanted the mouse. Nobody knew about it because it was impossible to imagine it for a regular person, but uh they came out with a mouse and everybody started using the mouse 
and those paradigm shifts, I agree, they're driven by uh, engineers and designers. So uh, somebody has to lead the market, but uh, it doesn't happen very often, those, uh, those moments when yeah. paradigms shift. Just, there's windows, right? Yeah. Windows is a bad good word. for a while, right? It's, 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 it's safer to be a fast follower. So if somebody makes a mouse and it looks like it's going to be successful and starts taking off, it's better to follow that path than it is to try to create a whole new one, right? Like there's just less risk involved in that play versus yeah. trying to develop a completely new one. Where I would you know, push back a little bit is to say like it's engineering driven. I think it's job driven. I think, and when I say job driven, I mean jobs to be done in the sort of classic product management style of, you know, we're <clears throat> helping people get things done. You know, the mouse as a, as a technology on its own, who cares? As a way of interacting better in a more natural way with a computer, great. Did I know it was going to be a mouse? Did I, you know, as a user have that shape in my head? No, I'm not an expert in the solution. I'm an expert in the problem. This keyboard command line interface sucks and I'm, you know, struggling with that, but I need to communicate with this computer in some way, right? So then it's the engineer and product managers and designers job to figure out, okay, well, how do we solve this problem better for people? It's, you know, if you classic Henry Ford quote, right? If I had asked people what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse. Yeah. And the touch screen, by the way, was uh, the paradigm shift from the mouse, from the mouse. Yeah, the, the iPhone touch screen. Yeah. Yeah. So it took decades for for the first challenger to the mouse to arise. To to hit an adoption level that that made sense for people to leverage it. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I've seen so many different types of inputs. Like I don't know if you guys remember the leap motion, like hand thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All of them failed. Yeah. Or like the uh, Lenovo, uh, the IBM, like little nub in the middle of the keyboard. Oh yeah, people the, uh, people are constantly that. trying to do that. Yeah. People are constantly trying to uh, supply drive the market, but they are rarely successful. Yeah. So Patrick, you're right. It's supply driven those paradigm shifts, but they're so rare. But we see those attempts every day. There is a category of 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 people called the inventors. They constantly try to invent something, and they most of them, the vast majority of them, are forgotten. It's a high risk space to play, right? You know, yeah. so it's definitely much higher risk. So with that in mind, I'm going to share our next link, which is ChatGPT now adds uh, new modes. So it can you can take a photo, it can yep. listen to your voice, and uh, it can kind of talk back to you in, in voice as well. Um, so yeah, this is like you're connecting. We want to hear a bedtime story. Bedtime story. Tell us a story about the super duper sunflower hedgehog. There's some insane Larry. demos around this. Start so with if you telling think us of the a little bit about case, him. Imagine ChatGPT as, again, just a smart person who now has eyes, and the eyes are in your camera. And this is this is the great demo right here of the bike. And you're saying, okay, I need to raise the bike seat, and I've never done that before. So you take a picture of the bike, and you tell ChatGPT, help me lower my bike seat, right? ChatGPT looks at it for a minute and says, hey, this is how you do it. Steps one, two, three. If this, then maybe that um, to help you with it. Asks you, if you don't have tools, show me, and I'll guide you further. 
uh, take a picture of the close-up. Take a picture of that. It looks at it. Oh, is you can ask. I'm, I'm narrating here for the people who are are, are listening at home. Is this the lever? Um, no, that's not the lever. It's a bolt. You're going to need an Allen wrench. Show me a picture of your tools, right? So you take a picture of your tools in the manual. Share that with ChatGPT, and it says, uh, here, "Here's my tools. Here's the manual. This is crazy. Do I have the right tool?" This is made so much better when you just talk straight to ChatGPT and don't chat as well, like don't text. And it says, yep, here's the tool. It's a four millimeter Allen hex key. Like that is just like having, uh, you know, someone over your shoulder who knows how to do everything all the time. Um, absolutely wild. And, you can and this see is how... so great because it's outside of a computer. Like this is, this is bike mechanics, right? <laughs> this isn't, you know, writing code. Totally. And you can see how the the modes matter. So like that it can talk to you, that you can talk to it, that you can take a photo. There's still a lot of friction with that. Um, <clears throat> and uh, yeah, I guess we were talking about the meta stuff, but like, I don't know if you guys have seen the meta glasses. Um, so these are the new smart glasses. And so there's just like a lot of friction to like take the photo, upload it, send it. So there's a paradigm of messaging. We're going to leverage that path dependency of messaging to deliver AI. And I think, um, I don't know. There's oh, like... man, it's great. No. There's a really, so to what we were talking about earlier, right? Low stakes, a little bit less scary. Mm -hmm. and easier to deliver from more of an entertainment context is definitely the strategy or a piece of the strategy behind these glasses. So you guys kind of hit on all the big pieces already. One of the ideas with it is we're going to help people do just, the, it, it doesn't have all of the complicated uh, computer vision components in it as far as, um, or sorry, augmented reality. Um, it's more of just a camera. So we talk about the always on observer all the time on this podcast, right? Like this is a, a huge topic. Um, remember, what was it? There was Google Glass where they tried to pack in the technology of letting it do more. Um, and it was just kind of awkward. Like it didn't quite work. Like the rest of the infrastructure wasn't quite there. Then there was Snap. Remember Snap right. uh, chat? Had the yeah. Snap glasses, right? Spectacles. So this, the yeah. Snap spectacles, yeah. Um, this actually isn't that much different than them, other than in the fidelity. It's way higher fidelity, um, internet connected all the time, and uh, you're going to be able to ask Meta AI Assistant for stuff. So imagine, um, you know, you say, "Hey, where's the the closest um, you know ice cream shop to me?" And it says, "You know, 500 meters straight ahead, turn left, and you're there." Okay, cool. Um, that can that difference between I reach into my pocket, I pull out my phone, I open Google Maps, I type in this thing. Um, this is that closeness. Like, I don't know if you guys have an Apple Watch, but I use Apple Watch for that kind of stuff all the time. And it's really awkward. Like, compared to that experience that I just described, of you're already wearing the glasses and then you just ask and you get something, mm -hmm. or you take a picture of something. Um, imagine you're reading a sign in another language you said what does this say i don't know what this says yeah. and then it just reads it out to you again it's like having a friend with you at all times who has eyes who can just see what's going on yeah totally and so then we go back to like the capability like each one is kind of pushing capabilities and inputs right so the inputs of the glasses make a lot more sense but like obviously a phone is much more 
is, you know, it's got a high, better battery. It's, you know, more fidelity for input. So, yeah, this is pushing that forward. You can see how at some point things converge and, and everybody's on a race race there. But I will say, like, because we, we were talking about paradigm shifts, <clears throat> I just want to mention this one, which is, uh, this is rumors, but uh, details emerge on Johnny Ive and OpenAI plan to build the iPhone of artificial. So this is this is the moment, right? This is the moment where we can get rid of the app screen, where uh, mm -hmm. you forget about the search box, where there's like a new paradigm introduced and you can imagine picking up your phone and you just kind of say like, you know, uh, show me Tina's message or like, hey, like what's the weather today? Or like, you can just imagine a more conversational uh, personal device that's not what we're used to with app switching and toolbars and stuff. So I think that's probably what uh, Johnny Ive sees uh, in this, and and um, I'm excited to see what what new ways we can interact, like what's going to look like. Do you guys feel some nostalgia for those things? Like, are you going to be sad when that's gone? Like, are we going to be looking back at this in 15 years, going like, remember when we had the iPhone? 14 still right like is that going to be a thing like did you guys feel any nostalgia like thinking that these modes we exist with today are going to be gone well I, I feel like i will care more about uh my doctor visits at that time and uh <laughs> my <laughs> prescription medication <laughs> so uh i i don't know if we're gonna feel nostalgia it really depends on uh how compelling the technology will be because we in our lifetime uh, abandoned our previous uh, um, user interfaces uh, we and uh, i'm sure we felt so loyal to them do we feel any nostalgia for the those big cathode tube uh, monitors for example right i mean i'm sure some people feel nostalgia but uh, i don't mm -hmm. uh, uh, the keyboards, um, I don't know, the keyboards are slowly going away and the mouse to uh, everybody's uh, on their uh, um, touchscreen device. So I'm really not sure. I, I feel like uh, uh, tech companies are becoming better and better at rewiring our brain. And uh, it's a little bit scary. Mm. What 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 makes it scary to you? What are you worried about? What are the things that when you think about this could go wrong? Where should people be scared in your opinion? Well, people are tinkering with my brain and uh, I don't have any influence on those people. Uh, I'm a little bit concerned. Uh, I remember the time when it was commonly accepted that Silicon Valley is benevolent and uh, it's only for the better of, uh, of the humanity. They all, everything they do is for the better of the humanity. And that was a naive point of view. Um, and uh, I, I just don't know what they are capable of, number one. I don't know what they already can do. There are, there's so much paranoia about privacy now because we, we just don't know. Paranoia is, is because of, um, uh, ignorance we don't know and we're paranoid so we're paranoid about privacy because we don't know what our phones can do and privacy is really the smallest uh, issue here the bigger issue is how our brains are reformatted by this uh, user experience uh, generated by TikTok and uh, other tech products 
how our brains are rewired, how our brains are reformatted, how are children going to be different from us? Mm. Because they are growing in a different environment. Um, parents, some parents, I hope many parents are now consciously limiting uh, their children's screen time. And there is a debate about the harm of screen time. Uh, but uh, it's enough already for many parents that there is an issue. It's enough that we don't know. So why take why take any chances? But then there is another group of people who say, well, no, I'm going to uh, let my children go all in because they will, uh, that will help them become uh, more of, uh, more comfortable with this uh, tomorrow, the day, uh, the, the the future of technology, and uh, they will be more uh, adapted to the day when people will start implanting uh, hardware into themselves, and that day will probably come. Actually, speaking of which, this is news from, I don't know if it's this week or last week, but Neuralink, uh, which is the uh, one of Elon Musk's companies uh, that essentially puts a computer in your head, just got... Uh, approval from the FDA for human trials. Um, so now they're allowed to start implanting uh, that device in people more now, which is pretty wild. To your point, Pulat, about it, an interesting way to think about this is imagine you were a kid growing up in the year uh, 500. How much different is your life and the environment that you grow up in compared to your parents, compared to your grandparents, compared to your great grandparents? It's almost identical right? Like not much is good with changing as opposed to now, if we think about living in a world with an exponential technology curve, that's just shooting up the gap between those generations, the world that we're living in, you know, uh, from us to every other generation, you know, uh, downwards, I guess, in time or every younger generation is higher because the growth in technology being exponential is stronger to your point about rewiring brains there's going to be a bigger like generational gap in many ways between us and knowing the power of tech companies to sell uh, we can be assured that there will be a lot of adopters of human computer interfaces implanted into the human body or taken uh, as medication and uh, when these new interfaces enhance human abilities the rest of the population that the, the skeptical group will feel so much pressure by simply becoming becoming inadequate and less capable so imagine yeah, if some yeah. kids get all the a's you know imagine if some kids get into all the good schools imagine if some people get all the jobs because they're just so much smarter because they are enhanced so everybody then will feel this pressure, even the skeptics. And this is how uh, tech companies sell um, uh, to uh, uh, mass markets. They will just sell it because they think it's good. So, and, let, me, uh, uh, so let me push back there. So because what I like to do is like, yeah, let's think about the dystopia and then let's think about it as it is today. Because today, basically, you have a very small class of people who get tutoring and training and they have parents and helpers all around them and they do better in school 
And they go to better schools, they get better jobs, they get paid more. So that's a phenomenon that exists today. The technology is education. The technology is having access to, to people who are helping you learn. Now, I think what we're saying is that in the future, that will be good, but also other people will be able to boot up these people and they won't need to pay them as much. So like I need to pay my after school tutor, I need to pay my like world studies person, my per person who's helping me prep for mm -hmm. university. Now, instead of that person costing $40,000 a year, they cost 20 bucks. And so then we get a, a leveling in some ways. We get So every leveling comes with like a new, um, new um, valleys and peaks, right? So we get a leveling of opportunity, which is going to just mean that some people who can use the technology appropriately are going to succeed and people who don't use the technology successfully are not going to see, succeed as much. And I think about this in terms of like uh, programming, right? So I can go into ChatGPT and I can learn about like I'm learning about like sockets and like audio encoding and like, you know, networking and like multi-threaded notes, stuff I would have no capability in. But because of ChatGPT, now I can quickly boot up on like that knowledge thing and do enough to get me to move forward, which means that the person who spent their whole life on that one expertise is less valuable, right? So yeah, it, the it, gap, yeah. The, the, the important thing to point out there is it's easier for people who are behind to close the, pe close the gap to the people who are at the top than it is for the people who are at the top to go even further ahead. There's incremental performance gains, you know, higher up. And then to zoom that out to the point that you were previously making, Pat, it's like, this is, this is intelligence and um, this is intelligence going down market. You know, first we commoditized information and then everybody had access to information and that did a lot, you know, for just the education level around the world. Then when we commodify intelligence, now everybody has access to this intelligence um, is it, it's similar to, you know, what we saw in the airline industry, what was once something only for business travel, then went down market to consumer travel. And everybody, you know, had access to that, you know, Southwest Airlines pioneering, you know, the cheap airline ticket, finding a way to introduce a product to people who couldn't afford it by making it cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. Right. And that's what we're seeing here. Uh, this, Sam Altman talks about this a bit as far as this leveling effect of if this can continue to be distributed evenly, and that's an if, not necessarily, like it's not guaranteed, um, it's likely, but if it can continue to be distributed evenly, it can drastically level the playing field where one person uh, who essentially, imagine you were a small business and you were looking for RFPs, right? You... Uh, an existing business might be able to pay a team of like three or four or five people to go out there, to look for the right RFPs, to crunch them, to write the reports, to do the follow-up, to do the sales on it. Now you could create an agent team to do that very similar thing. So now every small business has access to something that only a larger business had. Every solopreneur now has access to a lot of the, um, you know, individual vendors that, uh, medium-sized business would have had in terms of, okay, well, I need a, I need somebody to help write content or I need somebody to make a contract for me, right? Like these are use cases that used to cost, you know, 
thousands of dollars and we're not part of a budget for you know one organization that could be now for a lower level right and then we see the same thing going one level below that to sort of like the consumer space like you said people who couldn't afford this can now afford this um yeah so the, it's going down market is a big part of the story here which is enabling for everybody Going down the market is great and commodification has been great. And I agree that commodification of education has made the world a better place. Why did China become a superpower in 30 years? I mean, we can't build Eglinton LRT in uh, half that time, but they, they built a country uh, that was mostly rice paddies into a uh, superpower that is unbelievably ahead of Canada today. And um, they did it partly because of commodification of education and technology. The problem with commodification of intelligence is that it uh, implies some kind of intrusion into our human bodies now at this point. So commodification of education was analog and commodification of intelligence will be digital. Uh, and it will be digital in the sense that we will have a direct digital interface between human bodies and uh, the rest of the world. And uh, that step is capital intensive. It's really expensive. So uh, it will not be driven by open standards uh, as commodification of education was. It was driven by the open standards of the internet, World Wide Web, HTTP. Uh, Sorry, Pulat, when you uh, say... Um the human body are you specifically talking about neural interfaces like implants yeah i'm talking about neural interfaces because that's how i understand a commodification of intelligence uh because this is the really the only uh next step after commodification of education uh, education um when you commodify education there is a, a line after which uh tech companies are um are helpless. They can't control how we use our knowledge. We, we take the knowledge, it's in our brain, and then we use it. They can't tell us what to do. With commodification of intelligence, they can have terms of service that says, we will turn off that part of your brain that we provided to you if you stop paying the monthly fee. <laughs> that yeah, sucks. I think the subscription, that to me, that's the dystopian piece, is the subscription piece. Um, Subscriptions are dystopian. <laughs> Subscriptions are dystopian because they basically assume a customer for life. And they also assume you're delivering the a consistent value every month. There's actually this great book called um, The Orcs and the Crake. And um, uh, I am Adam, I think. Anyway, it's Margaret Atwood. And it is about a subscription um, dystopia of drugs where the drug companies are introducing pathogens and then also introducing like subscriptions to their cures and just like the cities where people have the cures they live in these you know sheltered communities and everybody else suffers anyway it's just it that is doesn't sound that far off from where we are today <laughs> just to get a little conspiracy theorist on you but uh, yeah. yeah but I, I i have to share this i don't know if you guys uh all in do you guys know the all in podcast yeah no no um anyway they have this conference which they're like just cheesy tech bros but um <laughs> they have this all-in uh conference and the speakers are like ted it's like i don't know ted lost the plot in my opinion 
and these speakers are like much better but one of them is a speaker who talks about um enzyme i think it's enzymes that she's talking about and developing cures that are like not um not traditional uh, medicine cures they're actually like kind of biohacking in a way like crispr and um things like that but things that are that are here today that can cure some people's blindness uh, but one of the things that she mentions is like you don't need you need only four hours sleep you can be as rested on four hours sleep there's just some people who have this like enzyme that allows them to do that and you take this thing and then you only need four hours sleep and that is i see what you're saying a lot about like well you have to keep subscribing it's like coffee like i subscribe to a neuro pathogen or whatever yep. like, and it makes me more more awake uh, it's a and... it's a drug that gives you enhanced capabilities right but a, coffee a, is an open standard don't forget guys <laughs> coffee is not proprietary you can go to a million coffee shops in toronto and uh they come and go and there is no big tech company that sells coffee i mean they tried that with the uh, soil and right or something like that oh yeah Soylent's doing. i think they're doing pretty good still there's uh the, i think i feel like it's like a hundred million dollar company at this point to to the point about um this subscription thing especially to drugs it's like we're not far off of that from right now like this is you could Next you could Nicole use Paul. that analogy to describe where we are today um with that and then there's also the component of look there's there's still an open market right like there's still room for one organization to you know do better uh, than the other uh, on on this kind of stuff it's not like just because one company starts offering a subscription they can't uh, another one can't offer it um in, in terms of a competitive product and we're seeing that with this uh, wave of different ai products uh that we're all dealing with you know at the moment and if you look at the market map of ai products it's only becoming more and more fragmented it's not solidifying there's a lot of information going through chat gpt but there's also less than there used to be before there's more and more entrance it doesn't seem to be coalescing yes yet and even the idea of agents um it all going through one it feels like it's splintering of like we're creating more and more branches like on an evolutionary tree here are all those going to be owned by the same company well we'll find out yeah so I, a couple things on that so one is llama 2 is an open source model uh, by meta it's what they're using for their meta agent you can literally download it and run it on your computer which i'm just going to plug this guy uh Every you, both of you guys and everybody on Earth needs to watch this uh, video if you're interested in AI. Uh, this is Jeremy Howard. Uh, he started Kaggle, um, and it is just this uh, really clear tutorial and like class on how language models work because he like wrote one of the original papers on it, and it's just like you can use this, and he shows you like you pay twenty bucks a month. Or you can like buy a computer for a thousand bucks and you have your own language model. So mm -hmm. this is an awesome guide. Uh, there are open source solutions like this, Llama, even Whisper, which is uh, speech to text. I downloaded that at 70 megs. And now I can translate like my speech into text free and there's no services involved. So I think there is a promise of open source with AI. Um, and I think that that's the, the winning solution as we've seen with like Apache and Linux and like the web mm. um but taking that the commodification conversation back to therapeutics so this is that talk i'll share this out but this is that uh, gene therapy talk and this is 
these are the drugs that are marketed today that are gene therapy. And gene therapy is basically um, adding or modifying like some, some simple genes to achieve things like curing blindness or staying up all night. Um, is COVID is COVID vaccine would it fit somewhere on this chart? Like is it as uh, gene therapy? I think so. Like mRNA tech I is that so. yeah, gene therapy? It must be right. I don't okay. see. This is where I lose my um, bearings because I don't know. CRISPR, gene therapy, uh, mRNA, I don't know. I think it is, yeah. So so that's these are the companies that are in market right now. And then these are like, this is the, the sort of research stage. And then this is all the things that have started the research phase. So I think in the next five years, there will be so many gene therapies on the market that will mm. do things like, stimulate exercise without having to exercise you know like right you you don't have to sleep as much you like way smarter and and it will be a crazy world and this is the world where it's all patents so like pulat to your point it's like what happens when the core function of your life is patented and in a subscription i don't know And can I say one more thing? And I want Pulat to weigh in on this. Pulat, what you said earlier about the pressure. Can we pause? Is Pulat still right? here? Out of, yes, okay. I'm here. I'm here. Oh, okay. Okay. You're, your screen you're was busted for a minute. Yeah. But um, the Pulat, what you said earlier about the pressure we're going to face for enhancement, I think it's going to be very similar to what we see in a microcosm of sports, right? Where, you know, you're competing in a, let's you draw a box around it. You're competing in, uh, let's use martial arts because we mentioned that earlier. Um, let's say you're stepping into the ring with somebody who you know is enhanced. Um, and the this is, let's say it was year 2000 before anybody tested for this kind of stuff. Are you more or less likely to do that? Does that feel safe or does that feel unsafe? Would you rather have the same edge that the other person has? Um, there's a huge pressure in that environment to you know catch up. It's like with in cycling, you know, there's a, to your point, Pat, there's uh, essentially an enzyme in your blood or there's like something in your blood that allows you to carry oxygen. And it happens to be that every cyclist is like directly at the limit of where that is. Mm. Now, genetically, it's very unlikely that they would all be at that limit. So they're all taking some level of the performance enhancer that gets them to what that limit is without going over it into the, you know, sort of forbidden area where you've taken a performance enhancing drug um, beyond a certain level, but they've done it up to a certain level. So we're all going to face that pressure to take either, you know, make changes to our body or make changes to our workflow using AI. Um, and then we're going to be, you know, more dependent on the products and services and the companies that are delivering these things. Right. Um so that pressure one, I think is really interesting. And imagine like your kid going to play baseball and realizing they need to take steroids uh, to ever be, you know, great at it. That's the world we might all be facing. Yes. And yet we play chess, even though AI can destroy us. <laughs> destroy us. Ulat, what do you think? Well, even nutrition, right? So we can go back all the way to nutri- to good nutrition. Some countries oh, yeah. have better nutrition, and you know what? Their kids are taller and stronger. There was a picture going around on the internet about a basketball team from somewhere in um, 
Central America and uh, uh, a team from the U.S. just waiting for their turn to go to the field and play. And uh, the team from the U.S., they were at least 30, 40% taller. They looked like giants compared to the kids from Central America. So it, it has to do a lot with nutrition. And, of course, it helps, I guess, in, in the U.S. that they add growth hormones to... Uh, to to uh, whatever they give to their cows, so so uh, that's one thing that I wondered. You know, I wasn't born here, and um, when uh, I, I grew up behind the Iron Curtain in the Soviet Union, and when the Iron Curtain came down for the first time, and Americans started coming over, and I, I saw Americans for the first time, I was surprised how much taller and bigger they looked than most people around me and uh, that of course uh, contributed to this uh, idea to this uh, um, propaganda that uh, americans are better at everything americans are smarter than us we should listen to the americans so this was a very popular idea in the late 80s and early 90s in the soviet union the former soviet union and then they arrive and they all look like um, uh, taller and bigger and uh, uh, more neater, better clothes and, and so on and so forth. And then it took years uh, to uh, for me to get over that idea. And then I, I just came here and I lived here a few years and I realized, no, I mean, they're as dumb, they're as uh, weak, they're as... Uh, uh, incompetent as anybody I, 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 I had seen before. And uh, in fact, people uh, from where I grew up, they are better motivated. They mm -hmm. are more educated often because education and studying was uh, a much stronger value back there. It's, it's just a matter of nutrition. It's a matter of uh, wealth. It's a matter of resources. And when you provide resources to people, they achieve incredible things access to resources right investment yeah. if you invest in something it grows and if you have less to invest it's hard to grow as much yeah um pat can you pull up the meta uh ai oculus 3 and the video conferencing thing like there's the whole like lex friedman and uh zuckerberg in the uh metaverse i can interview yeah, that's right. i was just doing this uh human adult height over time you fact checking pool out here making sure that he's not <laughs> spreading disinformation <laughs> on the People podcast get taller and then that will come level me up anyway yeah um sorry i think that was in a suggested video down here you're talking about this thing right yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, the, the fire yeah it's incredible how it's all Damn, integrated, look at that. but also like subtle stuff like yeah so this is all uh, rendered. So walk it through us. Walk, walk us through it, Pat. You, you know more about this stuff than we do. Yeah. So basically, like you can see here, they've done like a full body scan of Lex and um, Zuck. And so with a particular emphasis on the face. And, I feel like uh, he should be wearing a suit though, right? Like yeah. would, would Lex wear that? I don't know. But I think that he went there and he got scanned that way, I guess. He must have. Um, so you can see he's wearing the Quest Pro, uh, and this has got cameras, downward-facing cameras and inward-facing cameras that capture eye and facial movement. Um, and they That's are so cool. Come on, each how in a cool is location. that? They're in a different place, so Mark's in a different 
you know, city, uh, state. And so it's mapping in real time their gestures, uh, overlaying it on a model and then texturing. And so the result is pretty realistic um, feeling. And I think that it really doesn't come through here because it's also stereoscopic. So they're looking, they're seeing each other in full 3D, which mm. definitely changes um, the feeling of, of what it's like to, to be there with this person. And if you've tried Horizon or like anything that's like, um, well, it's like spatial and 3D, it, do, it does feel like you can feel an awkwardness when being close to somebody that you just don't get in video. Like I can kind of go really right. close to the camera. It's not going to yeah, feel yeah. like you're in my space. But in uh, w when it's 3D and it's spatial and you're moving around, you can see people's facial expressions. It, it gets much closer. The challenge is, of course, <clears throat> actually, they're wearing these headsets. So um, they're pretty bulky. Uh, but you can see the future in it, you know. Can you hit play for a second? I just I love this clip where you see all three versions of it. Of, you know, the person, the essentially like, wh what is that map? Like, what, what do you call the map in the depth, middle? Depth map. The depth map. And then we've got the fully rendered version on the side. How is the eye contact? Like, how do they manage eye contact with this? Um, it works. You can make eye contact, which is, like, I think, the holy grail of, like, you know, social experiences is eyes are a really important thing. Like, I'm looking at your eyes right now, but I'm actually kind of looking down. Yeah. Uh, and there are things... It doesn't look that way for me, right? Like, you know, right. we're... Yeah. Ships I can't, I can't even see Alan. I don't know why. I don't see him. I, I and I didn't see him for one second today. Oh, oh. really? <laughs> His screen is blank. Yeah, I don't even know what he looks like. Oh my god! Well, this is where it's, we're at. It's going to be a mystery, dude. We'll just for, for okay. today. Let's let's do the next one in this. I'm happy with your voice. Yes, that's good enough. Um, you'll have to watch the podcast to to see how. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Hi. <laughs> oh. I can see. <laughs> yeah. So it's cool, um, and all these things are hinting at a future. Um, but as somebody who works from home, it's it's not all it's cracked out to be. Like I'd love to like hang with people in person when appropriate, mm. you know, including you guys, which I thought was like a cool thing about this podcast. It's like all Toronto people. At some point, we should just like hang out and have uh, conversations in person. Do you record these in your uh, studio sometime, or is it always uh, remote? Uh, it's always remote. This this is my basement slash studio. Because <laughs> <laughs> it looks like a studio. Oh yeah. Okay. He's got the guitar up, cool stuff on the wall. It's Some legit. Furnace back there, and nope. I'm in a, I'm in a corner. The washing machine. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> Provides just the, the amount of going into the spin right now. Yeah. Just the right white noise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Pat, was there anything else that you saw this week that is uh, is worth pulling up or from the meta meta announcement? Because there's a whole bunch. There's also some stuff from Bard came out this week. Um, oh yeah, I what it was. Did they? We, we talked about some Bard stuff last week, but there was even more this week. I um, have a question actually for you guys, if if you don't mind. Yeah. Let's go. So it's it's a question and a pain point. When is Apple going to come out with uh, a capable Siri? That is somewhere near what we're seeing from OpenAI. Because we Siri is pathetic. Yeah, we talked oh, about this sorry. last week, how the, the Apple announcement a month ago or whatever was, uh, like for iPhone, felt really like, are you serious, guys? 
So there's a way to replace your Siri with ChatGPT. Um, it's not as easy and simple and user friendly as like you can just download an app and you're done. There's a little bit of, of rigging uh, to do it, but it can be done. You do need a paid account for ChatGPT last I checked. I don't know if there's a way to use Bard uh, for free with that same um, you know, tech and hook it up to Siri, but essentially you can completely replace Siri right now if you want to, if you have a paid ChatGPT account. I know that much. You know, no, what? it's it's yeah. sad. If I uh, if I kind of read between the lines, like I don't know if you guys know about like the Apple. Well, I'm sure you do. Not, um, lawsuit, uh, monopoly kind of thing. Um, basically, what's happening is Google is is in this lawsuit, and they're basically having to publish a bunch of internal communiques. One of them is that Google actually. Um, you know, Apple tried to buy Bing off Microsoft at some point, and um, you know, Google pays Apple for this default search piece. And I remember when I was at Google, I remember we couldn't release features because there was this EU legislation. This was back in 2014, I think, um, and mm. there was a worry that it would screw up the law case. So there is so much stuff that mm. happens at these corporations to uh, stop releasing features due to the legal implications, which is awesome because a startup can just be like, screw this. I'm just going to make something faster yep. than you, which it is creates space, right? There's a gap in the market yeah. that they're not, uh, they're not blocked from taking over. Incredibly frustrating as somebody who's like working on something like release the thing. I'm like, no, we can't. But, um, but yeah, I, I bet that that's part of what, what is happening here is they can point at Siri and be like, oh, we're not a monopoly. Siri sucks, you know? <laughs> wow, that, that's a tough scapegoat. And like, yeah. Wow. I don't know. What do you think, Galant? you think that happens? I think that this is a turning point in the history of technology. And uh, uh, Apple is, is risking losing the momentum and losing the spot under the sun because yeah. uh people are just going to get used to open ai or people are going to get used to meta ai and uh is that a habit going then to uh change into buying me uh, meta hardware also because it's going to uh, meta ai will be available only on meta hardware for example or is open ai going to make its own phone with uh, Johnny Ive, right? I think you posted that link. Yeah. And then Apple's going to wake up, and yes, they will win the lawsuit, but they they uh, they will lose the war. And uh, it's it's all about it's all about human habits, and it's all about human attachment. So I'm attached to my iPhone, but if something compelling comes along, for example, a phone without icons. Or not even a phone. Maybe it's some kind of revolution interface. I pair of glasses, right? It, it could just be a pair of glasses. Yeah, or something. Something that uh, is not intrusive. Something that is comfortable. I will happily uh, betray Apple. I'm not committed to Apple. And who is? Who is? Who is committed to a big tech company? Nobody is. It's no. it's all it's a free market out there. Yeah. People will just leave 
their current technology relationships and, and go into new technology relationships. Yeah. And we're talking about millions of people here. And we don't even know what, that's the thing about this new Iron Curtain. We don't even know what's going on in China, for example. China may be working on its own um, AI or its own hardware, and that's a, more than a billion people. Mm. We don't have as many people here in North America. And, and then they will offer something, a product of their own, and then Africa, Latin America, and Asia will buy their product. And then what's going to happen to us? Are we going to be the backward country? So this is... I lived in a backward country. It doesn't feel good. This is, this is a really good point because it happened. So I don't know if you guys know the Nothing phone. Um, I don't know. What is it? It's, a, it's an Android phone. It's this guy. I think he used to work at Apple or something. Android. I, I don't know where he worked before, but Red Dot Design Award winner. That's that's high high praise. Yeah, and this phone. There's a new one. So there's this is the nothing nothing OS. It's like beautiful. It's just like a beautiful build of the Android OS, and they now have um, they now have uh, nothing watch. I know the so the earphones from these guys. I knew. I didn't know they did a phone too. So they have this nothing watch. But you can only buy it in India, and it is the what? coolest looking watch, and it's like fifty bucks. Um, and they have these buds as well. And so I smart, think smart watch and earbuds that cost less than one hundred and twenty bucks combined. Yeah, the price just coming down, man. I love it. Love yeah. to see it. But it's beautiful. It's uh, well designed. It's affordable, and Bulat, we don't have access to it because we're not in India. Yes, this is for you guys. Have you heard of Zeker? Zeker. Yeah. How do you so, spell it? Zeker. Um, let me just look it up. Uh, it's uh, you spell it Z E E K R. That's a Chinese electric vehicle brand. Oh. Um, and it's not available in Canada. I don't think it's available in the U.S. It's available barely in the EU. And it's available in Kazakhstan, for example. Okay. <laughs> so it's really popular in Kazakhstan. And uh, so um, someone I know tried it in Kazakhstan, and they were completely blown away. It looks really cool. Uh, and they tried Tesla before, and then they tried Zeker. And, and Zeker, to them, it's just so much better. So such a much such a better experience than Tesla, right? So that's, one, that's just one person. I, I, I grant that. But... Uh, See, you guys are super advanced in your knowledge of technology and products, and you didn't even hear about Zeker. And I Never didn't hear about Zeker until the summer either, uh, until that person told me about it. But apparently it's huge in the rest of the world. So this is my problem. We live in this echo chamber. We don't even know what's going on. Yeah. And they're coming, out, uh, uh, coming up with these new products and uh, new technologies. We don't even know. We will not know. Because... We are com con consistently, constantly told that this is the best place on earth and we're all doing the best things and nobody can ever catch up. But my concern is people caught up already and maybe already ahead. And because of this new um, Iron Curtain that is being uh, raised, we will not even know. We will just sit here in our cottages and drink beer on Muskoka chairs and then think that uh, everything is cool uh, and maybe it's not so cool. Yep. 
<clears throat> decline of uh, what is it? Do you, do you guys know a, that old band No Effects? They had this song called "The Decline," and it was all about that. It was all about like the decline of America. They wrote it like 15 years ago, and it's a 15-minute song. Um, and it reminds me of you know Ray Dalio and his whole rise and fall of nation states, and that you know it's it's the fall of this empire. It's now it's time, right? Um, I don't know if you guys are seeing this tweet, but everybody's everybody's tweeting this now. It's like, how often do you guys think about the Roman Empire and the, the fall of the Roman Empire? Uh, it's a, it's a meme thing. now. It's a meme. How often do you think about the Roman Empire? Yeah. Think, thinking about it more often. All right, we got to wrap it, guys. What was? Uh, let's go with you know what was your big takeaway with something maybe you changed your mind about or want to think more about uh, at after this hour we spent together. Well, to me, it's the idea of commodification of intelligence was a really good idea, and I'm, I'm thankful for, for that idea. Thank Ronsley Vaz, uh, who gave it to me. He's uh, an AI expert, and we were chatting in Hawaii a, a couple months ago, and he said it out loud. He said, hey, the commodification of uh, first we commoditize information, then we commoditize intelligence. And I was like, dude, you should write that down, because it just came out in conversation. <laughs> He's like, I'm going to tweet that. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, yeah, I don't know. For me, I, I'm thinking about this paradigm shift. Like I think, you know, the conversation we were having around, it is a moment where we're just seeing everything for the first time and saying, do we really need that thing? And like, what's the future of that going to look like? Um, yeah, I'm really excited about that. So I thought that was a good, good combo. Poulette, I got something from your kind of... Um more you know a, a lot of lawyers fall in the protective you know space uh you know sometimes more than promoter uh, if you think of it as a spectrum like that and i'm shamelessly on the promoter side and, and kind of throw caution to the wind on a lot of these things and so you know some of your ideas around yeah what happens when you become dependent on them um it's that's a that's a real reminder uh to think about the, the potential for this to go the wrong direction and we talk about the right direction a lot on here we try to keep it positive as much as we can but it was nice to to remember that so thanks for that dude but i'm never getting invited to the topic to this podcast again <laughs> <laughs> no just voices it's great I, I just said that was the thing i got the most from from here so it's... all right guys thanks for listening thank Until you well thanks for coming thanks guys thanks, bye